0: Good morning from me. Hello, and uh, and a happy new year to any of you who I haven't managed to catch to say that to your face yet. Uh, I'm Jim, as Rachel said. Uh, Every time Rachel service leads, she says, "My husband Gemini." (laughs) Like, (laughs) no, okay, sure. Um, This year, astrology. No, not astrology. Good. Back on track. Uh, uh, It was quite early in the sermon that it went off the rails. Uh, It's a bit of a shame. Let's start again. Hi, Happy New Year. (laughs) Great. Welcome. Again, for those of you who are visiting or trying us out this morning, um, it is great to see you. Uh, Over the last year as a church, we have been reading and teaching through the book of the Acts of the Apostles, which I have found inspiring, challenging, and I'm looking forward to getting back into it in just a couple of weeks' time. But before we do, today I have a free topic, and I want to take the opportunity to share with you a little bit about what I think the Lord is doing in and through us. The season that we're in as a church, give you both a bit of an update, and also, uh, I hope, an encouragement and a challenge to get on board with what the Lord is up to in and through Kingdom Vineyard for East Fife. This time last year... Sunday the 6th of January 2019, we looked at the miracle of the healing of the lame beggar in Acts chapter 3, and I shared, like I am today, what I thought the Lord might be saying to us as a church for the year, and I shared that I thought it was the Lord's intention to bring miracles to East Fife through us, and I shared my desire that we step up and step out, not just to be passengers in what God's doing, but people who practice getting involved with him, bringing God's kingdom into our world in miraculous ways. And at the end of that talk, someone who had a knee injury came forward for prayer, right here, and through someone faithfully having a go and praying and asking Jesus to get involved, that knee was healed the same morning. Jesus is so kind to us. All glory to him. Don't misunderstand me. We just get to be involved, and it's great. Over the course of the year, we had a back problem that made work severely painful, completely healed during a sermon, not prayer time. We had scars from self harm vanish completely whilst a story of someone else's scars being healed was being shared. Those guys didn't even come forward for prayer. We had headaches healed in passing in the coffee lounge. That was pretty entertaining. Someone walked past and went, Be healed. And someone else went, Wait, hang on, come back. (laughs) It was amazing and a handful more besides. Jesus has been really, really kind to us. So many times over the last 12 months, I've just gone, wow, you're still up for this, Lord? Nice one. And that's not to mention the prophetic words and pictures that we've had week in, week out, moments where someone praying for a friend has had impossible knowledge that Jesus has used to bring us closer to him. We've not even counted these, but they continue to bless and amaze me. Thank you, Jesus. And obviously, this year, I want more. And I think Jesus wants more of these signs of his kingdom amongst us too. But as well as that, and specifically for this year, I have an invitation and a challenge for us for 2020. How is your own love for Jesus. I think that as a church community, as a whole, our love for Jesus is pretty good. I mean, we want Him to be in charge of our church services and our home group meetings. We definitely want Jesus to be leading the leaders in the church as we seek to serve Him as faithfully as we can. But as individuals, how are we doing? And as we'll see from our passages this morning. It's just not possible for us to ride off the person next to us's relationship with God. For us to coast when God shows up. It is dangerously possible to fake it. To look like everything's going fine in our relationship with God. To fool the people around us. But if Jesus turns up and makes his presence felt, then that would be exposed pretty quickly. So, hear this with the warmth of my heart, not a scold. I'm not trying to wag a finger at anyone. But my challenge to us today is how is your own love for Jesus? And my invitation to you today is would you like to devote yourself to Him? In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. From verse 34 onwards, someone famously asks Jesus what the most important command in all of Scripture, in all of God's law, is. And Jesus gave them an answer that should be the basis of everything that we are and everything that we do. And my friend Liesl is going to come up and give us our first wee reading this morning. Thank you, friend. Have a microphone.
1: But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets.
0: Thank you so much, mate. Don't go too far. I'm going to grab you back up again in a minute. Can we go back to the, to the first one? Thank you. Isn't it handy that someone asked Jesus this? I mean, God the Son himself was walking around on earth the person whom all of the scriptures pointed towards, God's ultimate revelation about himself, God not just talking to humanity, but living amongst us. And, brilliantly for you and I, someone had this conversation with him to find out what the most important thing for we creatures to do is. And the answer? Love God. That's it. That's what He wants from us. That is what we were made for, to receive His love and to love Him back. Everything else, all of the law, all the other teachings in the Bible or in church is either second place to this or is summed up in this. Friends, Christianity is not about being like Jesus. It's about being with Jesus. The rest kind of flows out from that. And what sort of love is it? We see in verse 37, he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. God wants a whole self, committed, devoted love from us. It is the relationship that we were made for. It is our main task in life. It is our, you had one job. Speaking of which, Jesus told a story about our relationships with God with a warning to keep it fresh, to not fall into the trap of just letting our faith tick over, or worse, faking it. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, and it will be on the screen, to Matthew 25, verse 1. In many Bibles, this passage, this story is titled The Ten Virgins. But a more helpful title for us uh, to explain it would be, The Ten Bridesmaids, or You Had One Job. A bit of context before I grab my reader up again. In fact, come and join me. You can stand next to me for this. This parable parable that Jesus tells is a story about a wedding. Now, weddings at this time had loads of really interesting traditions around them, and Jesus used these traditions as genius comparisons for God's relationship with us. In loads of his teaching throughout the Gospels, and one tradition that's helpful for this story is that when the groom had gone away and prepared, you're a, t- a teaching aid now. Thanks, you stand there. Uh, the groom has gone away to prepare a place for his wife to live, and then he goes along to collect his bride from the family's home. And the groomsmen go ahead with him, of him shouting and blowing trumpets to be like, "Hey, the groom's coming!" And it was exciting. That was a trumpet. Um, good. Thank you. I thought so. God bless you, sir. You may stay. Exciting. The the groomsmen running ahead, the groom behind them. And then the bridesmaids had been camping out at the bride's house, and the bridesmaids would run out with lamps and come and process the groom back to the bride, especially if it was at night. I mean, the groom's been building this whole time, so, you know, it could happen at any time. So, the groomsmen run ahead, the bridesmaids run out, and the bridesmaids process the groom to the bride. And then, uh, there's, there's a bit afterwards, it's not important for this morning, but then they steal the bride from the family and run off with her. It. I think that's great. Just me. <laughs> the running out to meet the groom with lamps, this was their one job. Forget walking down the aisle, forget anything else in speeches, the bridesmaid has one job. Lamps, groom, come and get the bride. Let's have the story.
1: The other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour.
0: Thank you, man. You're so good at reading that. You've definitely got yourself a job in future. God created us for relationship with him. We have one job. These bridesmaids had to run out to meet the groom. They had one job, and this story is how half of them properly messed it up. In verse 1 of this passage, Jesus gives us the key to unlock what this story means. He tells us, the kingdom of heaven will be like this, This story is one big picture to show us what it'll be like when God's kingdom appears suddenly. It's a story that is first and foremost about the end of this age, the moment when God calls time on this created universe as we know it, and Jesus is revealed in full glory, and each of us comes finally, fully, face-to-face with him. And this story of the Ten Bridesmaids is a, a pretty uncomfortable story, of people being caught unprepared, and not being able to put things right before it's too late. It is a powerful warning to be ready for any moment to meet God face to face. But I want to suggest to you this morning that any time that God shows up, any time that He makes His presence felt, not only in the big reveal at the end of the world, Also, even in little waves of him pouring out his presence amongst our daily lives, whenever that happens, I want to be caught up in what he's doing, not caught out, unprepared. How is your love for Jesus? If he suddenly appeared fully, bodily, right here, would that be good news for you this morning, or more than a little awkward? Still in verse 1, Jesus tells us that these ten bridesmaids took their own lamps for this job. Now, that's an important detail. Each one of them has the responsibility for taking along their own equipment. Will you be my bridesmaid? It's bring your own lamp. Each one is given the honor of the job and the responsibility of making sure that they're able to fulfill it. So then in verse 2, the detail that separates the foolish from the wise is how much oil did they take with them. These were oil lamps. Oil is the fuel. Have oil, and you have a flame, and you have a lamp. Don't have oil, and you've got a useless lamp. So I have a picture of someone's idea of a traditional oil lamp. Uh, That may or may not be accurate. So see how it's got the bit with the wick that's on fire at the end. That's good. That's, That's meant to happen. And then there's this kind of basin, this vessel bit behind it, where you put the oil. And the oil is absorbed by the wick and goes out that way, and then you get a fire. And if you've got lots of oil, nice long flame. That lamp will stay lit for a long time. If you have a tiny little bit, well, it might light for a while, but then the fuel's going to run out. And interestingly, from this angle, you wouldn't tell. You wouldn't be able to know. Is that a full lamp, or is it an empty one? Five of these bridesmaids were well-stocked up, well-prepared, and five looked like they were. How many of us would set off for a long journey with your phone battery at 3%? Having a phone in your hand looks like you're prepared, like you're able to call for help if you need it, but if there's no battery on it, you've just got a very expensive brick. Of course you get this. Of course this is daily life, sensible living. But this is the foolishness of the five bridesmaids without fuel for their lamp. They looked like they were ready. They'd shown their phone to their mum as they went out on the school trip. That's fine. But when they needed to make that call, their poor preparation left them helpless. When, in verse 5... Uh, sorry, Phil, to meet you go back and forth. What a nice man he is. When, in verse 5, the bridegroom was delayed, took a while to show up, they all got sleepy, which is not in itself a problem in this story. Jesus is coming back, we don't know when, and we are allowed to have a nap between now and then. That's not the problem. What he wants of us is that when the cry goes up, Jesus is here, that we're able to jump up for joy, ready to meet him. And in verses six and seven, this is what happens. The groom's coming, let's go, this is our moment. Everyone gets up and puts their lamp in order, but oh no. Half of the lamps are actually dry and have gone out. Half of those phones just will not turn on. The foolish bridesmaids, they realize their mistake. They're the light-holding welcoming committee with no lights. You had one job and they ask for some oil from the other bridesmaids, but this is a bring-your-own-lamp gig, and they're not sharing. Sorry, guys, you need to sort out your own fuel. So maybe, like me, you've read verses 8 and 9, and you've just thought, that's mean of those prepared ones. Why didn't they share? Aren't they meant to be wise? Isn't Jesus pretty keen on us sharing? Especially with those in need? If you saw that, good catch. Well done. But remember, this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven, what the presence of God is like. The presence of God is not a tradable commodity. I cannot give you my relationship with God. I can show it to you. I can encourage you that it's a really good thing to have, I can encourage you that it's worth investing in your own relationship with Him, but I can't give you my relationship with God. That would be like me giving you my relationship with my family. Here's, all my, here's my relationship with my cousin. Here's all my memories of them. Enjoy that. That's great. My cousin would be like, who are you? What? My relationship with Jesus is my responsibility. Your relationship with Jesus is Is your responsibility. Nobody, not even a church, not even what I'd like to think is a good church, can do this for you. This is between you and Jesus. This whole parable is about God showing up in a big way and whether or not each of us is ready for Him when He does. Have you got the kingdom of heaven in you already? Is your life filled with, touched by the presence of God? How is your own love for Jesus doing? Again, if Jesus shows up right here fully and looks you in the face, would you be welcoming him as an old friend with no sin to awkwardly come between you because you've been keeping that short, you've been keeping going back to him and making sure nothing separates you? well-maintaining the lamplight of your relationship with Him? Or would you find out that you have some sorting out to do, that you'd need some fuel for your relationship with Him in order to then be able to receive Him with joy? There's good news. He loves you. If I'm pushing on something that's, that's uncomfortable or pushing on something that's a challenge, Don't hear that as harshness from him, and please only hear it as an exhortation from me that it's worth it. He loves you. Because he loves you, because he's so kind and so forgiving, he is ready and willing any time to meet you, to forgive you, to give you that clean slate, to fill you up with his presence if you will receive him. And to be honest, if you're thinking, this is for me, actually, this is what I need to do right now, then forget the rest of my talk, Just in your seat now, in the privacy of your own heart, you talk to Jesus. You ask him to come and meet you again. It'll be a far better use of your next few minutes than listening to me speaking. If you think this is for you, don't wait. Just speak to him now. In verse 10, in our parable, it goes pretty badly for the foolish ones. They're caught out. They go looking to sort out their fuel supply. And they miss the big moment. And when they came along later on, finding that they'd missed everything, and even the door was shut, they call out to the groom, open up for us. Come on, we're the bridesmaids for this wedding. And his reply is, who are you? You're not the bridesmaids. I don't know you. Bridesmaids are out with the lamp. Where were you guys? I don't even know you. When this world is suddenly shaken and God wraps it all up, I want to be found to have a relationship with the God who loves me to death and loves to give me his life. I do not want to be found in the group who suddenly realize what they were missing out on and try to fix the relationship then. Honestly, I would not risk it. But this is not just for the end times this morning. I want us to look at this passage for whenever the kingdom of God draws near. For moments when he comes and meets us here in worship, in conversations on the streets with people when God suddenly draws near, in moments in my prayer time at home when he makes his presence felt and comes close, I don't want to miss him. Imagine Jesus pouring out his presence, his power here one morning, and us not being sensitive to his presence, not being close enough to him to notice What a tragedy that would be. Imagine a move of God sweeping across this land. People coming to meet Jesus. Whoa, you're real. Whoa, you're everything they said you are and more. Amazing. The power of the living and loving God breaking in in impossible places, restoration, healing, and his church, not just caught unprepared, maybe even found opposing what God is up to. I want to be filled with enough with God's Holy Spirit that when his wind blows in a new direction, I feel it and move with him. And it's my prayer that you do, too. This story that Jesus tells is a stark warning that none of us can think that we can get by on the faith of those around us. None of us can think that we can get into this particular wedding banquet as a plus one. My own love for Jesus is my responsibility. And friends, hear this as well, that it's my joy and privilege as a church leader to do what I can to support your relationship with God. Honestly, I love that, and I'm so grateful for the chance to lead a church to to do that. What a joy. But although that's true, ultimately, your own love for God is your responsibility. I can't love God for you. You probably wouldn't want me to. I'd give it a try if I could, but you'd be better at it. We had a prayer meeting on New Year's Day, and at that prayer meeting, someone prayed Lord God, let us be fully surrendered to you. Let us lay down everything you want us to lay down. We want to hear your voice clearer than anyone else in the room. My challenge to us today is how is your love for Jesus? And my invitation is, would you like to devote yourself to him? My prayer for Kingdom Vineyard this year is that each of us commit to devote ourselves to Jesus, to living with him and for him. And that means each of us choosing that for ourselves. There are no plus ones. And I want to be straight with you. This will cost you. It'll cost us time. It'll cost us time with Jesus investing in our relationship with him in the morning when you could have stayed in bed for another half an hour, time in your lunch break that you could have spent doing something else. I heard a preacher recently offer this stinging challenge. Uh, You notice how I've blamed someone else for this. If you think you don't have time, just get your Bible out, score out the name, and just write Instagram on the front of it. Ah, you'll be reading it all the time. Yeah, on the loo, scrolling through it. Yeah, you'll be amazed how much time you have to read the Bible. (laughs) Ouch. But let's let this be the year. Even let today be the moment we commit to devoting time to that relationship with Jesus. Back in Matthew 22, 34 to 40, we read that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul all your mind. And there is a second commandment that follows hot on its heels, to love your neighbor as yourself. So my challenge is that we put everything we've got into our love for Jesus. And if we do that, then my expectation is people around us will notice. And that as well as our deliberate efforts to serve people, to introduce them to Jesus, Even as well as that, people will just see the kingdom of God in and around our lives and be drawn to the God who loves them through the bit of him that they see in us. I reckon God is on the move. And that in 2020, we will see more people, unexpected people, discovering Jesus and wanting a relationship with him. I think that God is going to move in places that we might think of as spiritual deserts amongst the weirdest and the wildest of people, amongst the outcasts and the unlikelies that Rachel spoke about so well on the 22nd of December podcast available online. Honestly, I think that with us or without us, Jesus is going after those people more and more this year, and it will be our job to be part of that journey with him, if we can hear his voice calling us to join him. And it will be our job to be the welcome committee for any precious soul who asks if we can help them get closer to Jesus. Let's do a better job than the prodigal son's big brother did. This is why I think it's important for us to be right with Jesus. This is why I think it's important for us to have our own personal owned relationship with him, because I think he's up to some stuff. I think this will look like people arriving, mucky, dirty, not spiritually sorted, but hungry to meet Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I think it looked messy. It might even disrupt our plans, challenge our comfort zones. It might mean you walking up to a stranger over coffee after a service who you wouldn't normally walk up to and asking them to join you for lunch. Please do that. But however we welcome and love them, Let's make room for these seekers. Enlarge our tent, as Isaiah 54 puts it. Or in the message version of the Bible, the prophet excitedly shouts Clear lots of ground for your tents. This might even appear on the screen. Clear lots of ground for your tents. Oh, yeah, there were batteries and things. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. great. Thanks, mate. (laughs) Clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large, spread out. Think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive those ten pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. I think that both the people that God sends us to and the ones that he goes after himself and sends to us should be given the same invitation, the same welcome, the same love that God so generously gives us in all of our own mess and our own failures. I I'm as unlikely a follower of Jesus as a stinking shepherd or a magi with dodgy spirituality, let me tell you. And yet, he met me, he loved me, and his people took me in. Thank you, Jesus. What does Jesus want from us? He wants us. He wants you and I to be personally, individually committed to him, growing closer to him through devoted time, effort, even sometimes money, in our everyday relationships with him. Of course, this isn't a one-way demand. This is what he's looking for from us in response to what he's done, given to, and poured out for us already, of course. I honestly think we've got an exciting year ahead. I think Jesus is up to some fun, and I want us to be ready I want you and I to have a close enough relationship with him to be able to hear him. And even when he's a long way off, jump up and say, Jesus is moving, come on, quick, let's get involved. And I want us to be ready when Jesus brings people to us that he might, that we might not normally find ourselves speaking to, whether that's at work or on the streets or here on a Sunday morning. There will be people literally sent by Jesus, and I want us to be ready to extend the light and the welcome that Jesus has planned for them to receive. For us to hold out our own relationships with Jesus and the light that comes from them and show these precious people what God is offering them, I would be devastated to think that in that moment of meeting, we might be found empty. So I'm looking forward to what Jesus is going to do this year. And I've got to the end without cracking a 2020 vision pun. (laughs) how is your own love for jesus how is your own relationship with him would you like to take the opportunity to devote yourself to him this morning if you have felt a nudge or even a squirm as i've been speaking this morning uh, then in just a few moments when i invite anyone who would like some prayer to step forward would you join them I would love to invite you to step into that, to say, yeah, I want to do this as well. I want to take a moment to, to spend it with Jesus and to devote to him. It's not about me. It's not about the church. It's not even about a person who comes to offer prayer for you. We're not scoring anything here. This is between you and Jesus. And, and that's the point. This is between you and Jesus. Would you stand? I'd love to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us um, and just invite God to come and do what He wants to in our hearts. Can I suggest that you make that same statement within your own heart as well? Lord, come and do what you want to. We do invite you to come and have your way, Lord Jesus to come and say what you want to. We invite you to come, Holy Spirit, increase your presence, minister to us. Lord, let this not be about duty, religion, certainly not guilt, but would you meet us truly as you are, as we are. Thank you, Lord, for your heart to reach people. Thank you, Lord, for your heart to be reconciled to them, to us. Would you? For those of us who need to be reconciled, would you meet us again? Would you bring that forgiveness? Would you bring that love that you made us for? And would you do that work in our hearts this morning? And in your kindness to us, Lord Jesus, would you involve us in your mission plan to go and get scoop up and adore your other children? Spend us as loose change in your pocket, please, Lord.